passage this morning is from Matthew 22. I'll be reading the first 14 verses of Matthew 22. hope everyone is having a wonderful Labor Day weekend and not, I hope you have good plans for this evening or tomorrow where you can gather together with family and just enjoy a time together. But it is Sunday, it is a day of rest and when we find rest in the Lord and the salvation that he provides And so with that rest, let us look at the kingdom of heaven as Jesus presents it in this parable. This is Matthew 22, the first 14 verses. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called and few are chosen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word. And I pray that you, 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 that you use it to... Stir our hearts, and that our faith and love for you may deepen. Father, I pray if I preach anything false or untrue, that it fall upon deaf ears. It is not my word, Lord, but yours. Amen. I hope everyone is in enjoying the weather change this week. It was nice and cool. It reminded me of fall, and fall is my favorite season of the year. Uh, Mainly because soon into fall, or not that long into fall, I get to go to Thanksgiving, which has traditionally been my favorite holiday. (laughs) Mainly, it's my favorite holiday is because that's when I gather with family. We would traditionally go to my family's mountain house, and Uh, My mom's side of the family would come in from Tennessee and we would play cards, give each other a hard time, have good time. Uh, When I was younger, my dad and I, the day after Thanksgiving, we would go Christmas tree hunting, as we called it, 
and go to the local Christmas tree farms and bring back a few, one for us and several for friends. Played a lot of cards, a lot of games, watched a lot of football, but also we feasted. We had, my dad does an excellent smoked turkey. It's delicious and and so many sides, whether it's lima beans, mac and cheese. One thing my family does that I really loved, oyster dressing, which is just dressing, but you add in oysters, delicious. And it's good. It's a wonderful time. I loved it because it was a feast. It was a gathering. It was plenty of food and a gathering of family. And Paul and Jesus, in this parable, he's, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a great feast. And so when we hear the term feast, we're thinking this is a joyous moment. It's magnificent. It is wonderful. He's celebrating this wedding feast, the wedding of his son, and the king is inviting you in. And that is the main point this morning. That we are invited to a joyous celebration. We are invited to a joyous kingdom. Now I know there's a question there. When you say we, who's we? Well, this parable covers three different groups of people, really. Uh, There's the people that would be expecting the invitations to this wedding. Then you have people who are just surprised by the invitation to the wedding. And then finally, you have this very proud man at the end. But before we get to the feast, let's, let's set the table here. When the king prepares a feast, I want us to understand what we're talking about. This is, this is huge. See, Jesus, in telling this tale, he's, he's quickly approaching his death and resurrection. He is in the middle of his last week of Jerusalem. He's already had the triumphal entry. He's he's come in like a king. He has come to the capital. And there is great celebration. His ministry is a crescendo of activity. He comes in like a king. He chases out corrupt people from the temple. Uh, He curses a fig tree at one point. His authority is challenged. And of course, he's Jesus. He's telling stories. And he gets to this one about the feast, and he's talking about the kingdom of the Lord. This king would prepare a great feast. He says, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now notice the plural there. He's prepared his oxen, his fattened calves. One fattened calf could feed about 35 to 75 people. My brother used to have an annual pig picking. That pig could feed usually between 30 to 50 people. One of my brother's friends who used to be offensive lineman for App State, his graduation gift, this is what he wanted. He just 
he said, I just want one cow, baby cow that I could raise up and then we could do a cow picking like we do a pig picking. That was the dream. And it was feasting. And this is what the king has. Multiple oxes, oxen, multiple cows ready to go. Food prepared. This is a grand event. This is enormous. Uh, and again, is Jesus, so of course it would be, because we're talking about the Savior of the world. We're talking about the man who has redeemed his people. Of course there's going to be a wonderful celebration. He is preparing a kingdom in which there is no more pain, no more tears, no more hurt, no more sin, no more hunger. He's making it ready. There's nothing but great joy. We, those who believe in Jesus, are going to celebrate with the Savior. That's the promise Jesus is making. He says there is a great feast. It's going to be ready because of the salvation that Christ provides. And remember, Christ's salvation, that's worthy of celebration. His victory over sin, over death, this is why we sing in Sunday morning. It's why we pray. It's why we have great joy. And Jesus is standing here and saying, look, the kingdom I'm securing for my people, it's going to be like a wedding feast that the king provides. And it's going to be magnificent. And so, let's dive in. Who gets to come to the wedding feast? Well, in verse 3, we see that he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, uh, but they would not come. Now, a couple of things. The process of being invited to a wedding was not all that different in ancient Israel as it is today. You would receive a card saying, hey, we're going to have a wedding on this date and time. Just let everybody know so you can make your plans. This is going to be the wedding day. That's a good thing. Uh, nobody, but we already see a problem because nobody's doing the RSVP. Nobody's saying, I'm going to come. As a matter of fact, they're going their own way. They're, they're ignoring this invitation. Now remember who's sending the invitation now. This isn't a random person on the street. It's not even a good friend. This is a, this is a king. Sending it out to people who were probably expecting an invitation for a king. Not only expecting, probably looking forward to the invitation. But he is a king and not going is a serious insult. And so as Jesus begins this story, we can already see that there's a problem. But with Israel, ancient Israel, there was a second invitation the day of saying, the food is ready, let's go. Everything is prepared. So the people who did not come the first time, they have a second invitation. There's a persistence here by the king to say, hey, there's a wedding feast. It's ready. Please come. As, he tells, as Jesus tells us, they paid no attention 
and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, killed them. Now, this is how they treated the servants. This, this is how they treated the king's people. Imagine how they felt about the king. There's, there's a loathing here. A hatred that leads to murder. It's really, it's almost unfathomable. This person, this messenger is saying, hey, come to the feast. And some people are like, no, I'm too busy with my life. I'm going to my farm or to my business. And others are simply killing the messenger. Imagine having a person provide for you. Giving you everything that you need. It's a king, so he'd provide protection. He would provide for his people. He'd make sure that they're well fed. So imagine someone providing for you. Taking care of all your needs, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you're just going to spit in their face. And this is kind of what's going on in the story. See, those... These servants are an extension of the king. And by insulting the servants and killing the servants, they're insulting the king. And as we see, because of the story, it is a parable. These people are representing someone. And it's pretty clear, these are the high priests, Sadducees, and Pharisees. These are the people who are religious. Uh, And not just religious. These are the ones that should be looking out for the Savior. These are the ones that are expecting the invitation. If it's these people, then in real life, it would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who studied God's word and said, there is a Messiah coming. There is a Savior coming. They should be looking out. They should be ready. And yet, Jesus is saying, you have treated my servants shamefully. As a matter of fact, this is confirmed in Acts. Uh, Deacon Stephen, uh, for those of you who don't know, as the church was growing, there are a lot of needs of the church. And there is a deacon, so they arranged this office of deacon to meet those needs. And one of them is this guy named Stephen. And his sole job is really to help the church, to meet the needs, to provide for the widows and the orphans and the sojourners. He had an office of service. And he had a great love for the Lord. And he gets put to death. Matter of fact, he's the first person to die for their faith in Jesus. And right before he dies, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says this Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? Again, which of the prophets? Which of the messengers? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. 
This is who Jesus is talking about. Those who have received God's word, that know the word of God, that should know who the Savior is, and they don't keep it. They have the invitation in hand. They know. The king is before them. They should know. They should know that Jesus is before them. And yet these are the same men that are going to put Jesus to death. Now it is easy to look back on the Pharisees and say, these people are ridiculous. How could they not know? How could they not see their own self-righteousness? But remember, these are the same accusations that are often lobbied at Christians. And sometimes it's fair. We're believers. If we are believers, if we are going to say, I believe in Jesus, what we are saying is, I need a king. I need a savior. We need to remember our need for our King. We need to remember our need for our hope. We need to remember our Savior. So I can I challenge you a little bit this morning, and I'll do this a couple of times, but how concerned are you about your faith? Does it take a back seat to your businesses? Does it take a back seat to your recreations? I mean, it's really easy to be caught up in the work that we do, our jobs and the labors put before us. It's easy to be caught up in our hobbies. It's easy. Be so distracted that we're never that we do not worry about our need of a savior because we begin to think everything is fine. Or maybe you're the opposite. And we are Presbyterians. We Presbyterians have a reputation for deep theology, and matter of fact. Uh, one of the youth a few years ago went off to a camp and they were introducing themselves and what church they were from. And uh, this particular youth goes, Hi, I'm Presbyterian and we use big words. We can lose the forest through the trees. That's, that's a very real possibility. See, this is what happened to the Pharisees, right? They studied God's Word. They knew how many letters were in the Old Testament. They knew the exact middle point. Odds are they had it memorized. Had all of God's Word, uh, sometimes quite literally, on their forehead. Yet the Savior is before them. Everything that the Word points to, and they miss it. And as believers, if 
Sometimes, if we're not caught up in our businesses and recreations, we can also fall into this camp that we get so deep down into our beliefs and our theology that we actually miss the fact that we need Jesus. See, God's kingdom is supposed to be like a joyous feast. This is a, a moment of great celebration and happiness. We need to make ourselves ready to delight in Him, to delight in the Word. Uh, we, wanna, we don't want to hold on to anything of this world. We don't want to take, we don't, we want to give up the best that we have. Right? We, we don't want to cling on to anything. Because in light of this feast, we, we don't have anything in comparison. We really do fight so hard to claim what is our own. We fight so hard to claim, say, this is mine. This is where I am right. This is where I am special. This is where I am unique. That we forget we need a Savior. We build up our own merits. We pound our chests. But when we put ourselves above the king, then we're going to put ourselves on this path of judgment. Because Jesus makes clear the men who were expecting the invitations, the one who received it and ignored it, and the ones who treated the messengers shamefully, the king raises them with, their arm, with his arms. The king destroys them. And rightfully so. If we, if you're a person who, uh, who's kind of like me, who grew up in the church, who heard the gospel every Sunday, who sings praises to God, who, if we start biting our thumb at the king, if we don't repent of our sins, if we don't recognize our need of Jesus, then we're no more deserving of this first group. And we're going to get lost and on the path of, towards God's wrath. If we don't realize what amazing invitation and what amazing love that God has. And as we see, this invitation to God's kingdom, it is a free gift that is open to all. So the king has this wedding feast. We, let's get back into this story a little bit. The king has this wedding feast. And everybody who's invited has decided not to come, and the king has taken care of that. So what to do with the wedding feast? Well, we pick up toward the end of verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So in this next wave of invitation, we have a whole new group of people. And this group of people, they'd be very surprised to be invited to the king's feast, the wedding feast of the king's son. See, the previous group, they would have been expecting, but they, they clearly were not worthy. Now we are looking at a group that would 
probably not expect it, and probably not even think we are worthy of such an invitation. But the, sermon, the servants aren't there to determine worth. They're not going out with a questionnaire saying, uh, could you fill this out so I can find out whether or not you are a good, more upright, moral person or morally questionable? No, they're just finding people off the streets. Any of that they can find. This is a wedding visa. This is a celebration. Just let's go. Come on. Bring, go to the king's house. Let's go. This is a wedding feast for the sun. Please come. The only limitation is how many can you find? How many people can you go out there and invite to the wedding feast? Now, this may surprise some of you, but I have never planned a wedding. I've only run the sound for a wedding, which I don't get to do anymore because we have changed the sound system. And for Paul, I thank you for that. But running the sound system was stressful enough for the weddings that we've had at this church because everybody needs to have the right song. You need to have the right cue. I don't want to miss the right cue. That gets Nathan in trouble. Uh, but if I, were, if I were to plan a wedding, I do not think I would just send out an open invitation to anyone to come. I don't think I would take an ad out in the item and say, hey, wedding on this date, everybody in Sumter may come. Not only can you come, we will feed you. This is what the servants are doing. Hey, there's a wedding. Just come. Not only come, we're going to feed you. We are going to celebrate. We are going to have some great joy in this feast. Please come to the table. And just to be clear, as Jesus is telling the story in verse 10, uh, he says, all that they could find, please come, both good and bad. Both good and bad. This mirrors the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is telling the crowds, hey, you need to love your enemies because the sun rises for both evil and good people. And yet, Jesus says evil in Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the same word used here. We can't avoid this. The gospel is for people who are evil, people who are rotten to the core. They, too, receive the invitation. So if you're sitting here thinking you're morally upright, guess what? It doesn't matter because the invitation's for all. It's not like the servants were going out and saying, Sir, well, I, I see you're an outstanding member of society. Please come to the wedding feast. No. Remember, the limitation. Any that they could find. The kingdom's for both good and evil people. And the reason for that is the invitation doesn't come from ourselves. The invitation, the salvation, is not based on anything that we do. 
It's not on us. It's not on our merit. It rests on the salvation provided by Jesus. We have nothing to stand on. We have no right to go to the castle and bang on the door and say, hey, let me into the wedding feast. But the king invites us anyway. The invitations... <coughs> the invitation is for everyone. And that... And that's truly amazing. Now, I had a story here about how I used to be afraid of the dark and I used to use my blanket as a shield, but it didn't quite work as an illustration. And the thing is, I, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to distract from this fundamental truth of the gospel, the thing that we cling to. As believers, we, we cannot stray from this. God's saving grace is truly for everyone. John tells us every tribe and tongue and nation will bow down to the Lord. We'll sing praises. It is for all peoples. And the reason we get to partake in this joy is because by the saving work of Jesus, that, that God has given His people His grace. And it is by that grace alone that we are saved. It is by that grace alone that we can go to the feast and sing hallelujah. And sing holy, holy, holy. Now as believers, as as Christians, we need to remember that it is by this unmerited favor that Jesus saves us. Because what else can we stand on? What, what boast can I truly make? What room is there for pride? Indeed, we're given an invitation, and that's it. So whether our parents raised us up in faith or, or, someone who came, or someone came along in our lives and just showed us Jesus, it is Jesus who saves. It is Jesus who redeems. Uh, we are not saved by our own merit. We are saved by Jesus. And if you're a non-believer, if you're here this morning and you, you don't know who Christ is, you're not sure what you believe. Or even if you're not sure, this may not be for me. I'm saying the invitation is for you. Nobody's so far gone that they cannot receive the grace from the Lord. Now you may say it's not for me. You may sit there and look at the book that we read. Uh, you may look at the story of Jesus and the promises he makes. You may be unsure of the everlasting kingdom, this uh, wonderful world, eternal life that God promises. Uh, you may feel unworthy. You may uh, feel scared. But I'm going to say, Christ is offering. The invitation is there, and it is 
for anyone who hears, for anyone who is willing to repent, for anyone that is ready to say, put their trust in Jesus. And I'll say this, one of the greatest saints, or at least the way we look at him, one of the greatest saints, not necessarily the way he looked at himself. Uh, there's this man in the Bible, uh, Paul, an apostle. But yet, before he was an apostle, his, he went by the name Saul, and he killed Christians. And it's kind of what he liked to do. He, he liked to persecute. As a matter of fact, Stephen, the guy I quoted earlier, the first person to die for their faith, Paul is there, and it, Scripture clearly tells us he approves it. Yet he, too, receives the invitation in a very spectacular manner. And his heart is changed. And the Spirit opens his eyes so that he may truly see, and he is saved. And so whether you are an evil or good, the call does not make a distinction because the call is for God's kingdom and because it is Christ who saves. <clears throat> because it is Jesus who has secured it for his people. And finally, in the last part, Jesus is going to deal with this proud man. See, Jesus could have ended the parable there. A feast. This is, this is a marvelous story. This is, sounds too good to be true. A great feast that all are invited. That all are welcomed. And this would have been a wonderful fairy tale ending that we can all partake. The wedding hall is filled. filled. It would be just a wonderful, feel-good story. But Christ doesn't settle for... A simple dichotomy of those who refuse the invitations and those who accept it. So let's look at the last few verses. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now some people read this and they're like, the king seems kind of mean on this point. And they look at me and say, Nathan, you have just made it clear that the invitations for everyone both evil and good, and then this guy who's dressed wrong gets kicked out? That doesn't make any sense. No, he's pretty clear he's invited. Yes, I'm, I'm going to stand by. He's at the feast because he receives the invitation. And then the king approaches him, and then he begins the sentence, Friend. Now try to read it with the right intonation, because it's not a friendly friend. Uh, it's the exact same friend when Jesus calls Judas Iscariot friend, when he says, friend, do what you're about to do. And then Iscariot betrays him. But the king does ask a very good question. 
Where is your wedding garment? Why aren't you wearing the right clothes? Now, a little context for this, because I think that would help. If the person had money and they had a wedding garment at home, it would be expected of him to run back home, get the wedding garment, and then go to the wedding feast. Or, maybe he is excited, and he just wanted to go straight to the wedding feast, which more than likely would be me. Or maybe he was poor and he didn't have a wedding garment. The king, as tradition in that time and era, would offer wedding garments at the door. He said, you don't have a wedding garment? That's okay. I can provide one for you. So there is two things. Either refuse to go home and grab his wedding garment, or he refused the king's offer of a wedding garment. Now I'm actually going to a wedding in a couple of weeks. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it, and, but the dress code for the reception is cocktail attire. Now in the Venn diagram of my social life, versus people who have cocktail parties. That overlap is very small. <laughs> if non-existent, I'm a youth pastor. But it is my cousin's wedding. I love my cousin. She's the smart one in the family. And so, of course, this is what she wants for her wedding, so of course I'm going to wear a suit. Dark suit. I'm going to wear a dark suit. because I want to celebrate the wedding of my cousin. I'm excited for her. I'm ecstatic. And here we have a wedding feast far greater, far greater than that of my cousins. Far more magnificent, far more significant. This is a feast that the king is putting on for his son. This is the one where there's oxen and calves and everything on the table. And this guy, this man at the end of the parable, he cannot be bothered to honor the son or the king. He's coming in and he says, you know what, I'm going I'm to come to your wedding feast, but I'm going to do it my way. I don't, I don't need your wedding garment. I'm not even going to bring my own. This is what I'm wearing. Take it or leave it. It's essentially saying the king's way is not good enough for him. And so the king says, okay, friend. And then he casts them into the outer darkness. Remember, these are invitations from the king. These are invitations involving his, the wedding feast of his son. The salvation's not on the people who are at the feast. They didn't earn their spot at the table. No, it was given to them. When we come to the Lord, when we come before God, we don't bring anything to the table. 
It's not like we're going to add anything to this feast that isn't already there and isn't far greater than what we bring. We don't want to cling to the world. Otherwise, there is no joyous celebration in that. God does make demands. He does call for repentance of our sins. We do have to turn away from the world and not just turn away from the sin in our lives, but move toward Jesus. But it's not on us. Because even though that we're doing that, the Christ provides the wedding garment. He puts that before us. And the passage ends chillingly. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many will hear the invitation. There are many people that are going to hear, you're a sinner, Christ provides salvation. How do you respond? What has the Lord laid upon your heart when you are pushed with that? What do you do? Where do you stand? Where do you stand in relation to God? Are you like the first group? You may know the ins and outs of beliefs, your beliefs, but you're failing to respond to anything that God has laid before you. Are you like the man at the end? Are you saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to just do it my way, and I'm not going to worry about everything else. This is not what Jesus has put before us. As a matter of fact, the parable is pretty clear. If you're unwilling to respond to this invitation, or if your response to it is, yeah, but. That path leads to destruction. It leads to God's wrath, His judgment. But when we receive that invitation, when we hold it in our hands, when we press it to our hearts, when we repent of our sins, when we believe, and when we move in our faith, my goodness, it is a joyous celebration. It is beautiful and wonderful and worthy of great praise. We need to both cherish and to act on the call that God has laid before us. Because he does this out of a great love. And Christ has secured salvation uh, in his life, where he lived without sin, in his death, where he made a sacrament, or not a sacrament, a sacrifice on our behalf, giving us his righteousness so that we may be redeemed. In his resurrection, where he showed victory over death, and in his ascension, where we see that that victory is everlasting. 
That victory is without end. That call is before all of us. Then I'm here to tell you, Christ's kingdom will be a joyous celebration. It will be marvelous. We will sing, we will laugh, we will celebrate and praise our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word. And Lord, I ask that we may have great joy, great joy in the blessings that you give us. And the small things that you give us now, I ask, Lord, that we celebrate in your name. But let us look forward to the marvelous fullness of these blessings that is to come. Let us act on the call that you have put before our lives. Let us walk in the good works that you have laid before us. Let us be humble in response to the grace that you have given us, the grace, Lord, that we desperately need. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.